You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Two things right off the jump here. We got a hot mic. We got two hot mics here. What's what's off the jump? Number one, you you look really big. I look huge, yeah. I I'm gonna smoke you in Jacksonville because I'm gonna be racing a bodybuilder. Wait, why do you, how do you know I look really big? Well, because you're sitting here, and this is item number two. Wearing the sexiest running public T-shirt I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it's but so it's sick. like it's painted to your body. Yeah, yeah. So yo, this so me being jacked right now makes you think that I can't run run as fast as you. Is that what you're saying? I yeah yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> you're so big. Thank you, Bracken. Uh, that's what I was telling you. I, I needed to, somehow I filled out a little bit here. I need some help. Yeah. You, you, you look ready for a photo shoot. <sighs> I got no photo shoot. Actually, I do have a photo shoot planned. I got a photo shoot in our running public t-shirts planned so we can get them up on the website. So I do. You see that we have people asking that you trim your beard and your hair. They asked if I should or could. If you will. Yeah. That would be my sister. <laughs> really? She hates it. That's my sister. At least the one I read. Yeah. That's my sister. Talon Rendell's is her name. She's that's her married last name. Good for her. Yeah. I'm in agreement. I think you you need to you need to clean up and go in or is this like you're gonna keep it to last minute and then you're gonna get your race mode? No, I have no intentions of changing this thing. What am I uh, men? This is men grow hair on their faces, Bracken, and men should embrace that. That's what I think. I think I let my manliness do my talking. I don't need to portray it with a with a beard. The thing about a beard bracken is it just grows. You don't have to do anything. It just appears. <laughs> For unlike, some people. <laughs> unlike the hair on your head, it just appears. Uh, what, a, what a start. I will say that Bracken and I did a little, uh, we started conversing today with no shirts on. And we really did sort of, we were just flexing for each other. So that's how this started. But I put on the running public t-shirts for Bracken, did a little modeling, I would say. Okay, he's drooling with envy, so... Almost here. Than one reason. Exactly. Other than my pale body. I am just as pale as you are. <laughs> you guys will find out where this episode is going. We're very excited to bring this one to you today. But I think just because racing's getting uh, near, we'd like to be filled in on your training, Bracken. Well, I had said that this week was an important week for me. I need to get back to nasty workouts after slightly deloading for race week. And I needed to mentally rock myself a few times this week and i did the 30 30 advanced workout on the trails on uh, wednesday the advanced workout would be like hard effort and then you're almost holding threshold effort yeah. in between the 30 second sprint 30 effort. seconds at 3k pace or two mile pace and yeah. then 30 seconds at threshold back and forth until your pace breaks nice. and i didn't technically go until pace breaks the first time i did it i made it six rounds and then i rested two minutes and then did five rounds and rested two minutes and tried it again and made it one and quit in the middle of the first round. So I did six, five, one. Got it. So it's not the purest form of it, but I needed to break it up. And so this time I did six, five, four. I made it all the way through that four. Hmm. Oh, improvement. Pacing. Was that similar? No, we had fresh snow on the trails and it was just <laughs> miserable. Pace was not a thing. It was just pure effort and heart rate based. 
and it was there. My heart rate was there. My effort was there, but pace was just out the window. Mm. I ran it on the twisty technical side with snow that gave way most of the steps. It's kind of what I outlined. I don't know if I mentioned it last episode or the one before about like hard intervals, but then in between the hard intervals, you're still keeping like a higher throttle yeah. on your workout. And those things really, uh, they, they catch up to you. I didn't let myself drop below 161 on my rest period. Oh, that's, which, that's high for you too, really. My aerobic threshold's 150. 150 yeah, exactly. And so my lactate threshold is anywhere between 161 and 166. So yeah, I was, it was, it was spicy and it hurt. And I felt so slow because of the terrain. But I just know that the moment my feet touch something solid, I'm going to feel like a million bucks. That's great. What about you? Did you hit it? You did hit something and it hit back. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided, you know, you talk about getting gritty. Our last episode on Tuesday was about like your fit versus race fitness. And so I decided to go out there and just suffer. So I, I felt I had some FOMO when we did our running public beer mile and our burpee 10K. And I said, today you're going to go out and just suffer. So I prescribed myself a burpee 10K. And I would say three quarters of the trail was ice or snow covered. So it was just poor conditions, 10 degrees, all that. So I did it. And I'll tell you what, it sucked. It sucked a lot. I uh, almost want to apologize to all of you who did the burpee 10K back in July because I got, I told Bracken this, I, um, I got like a mile and a half in. I was, I think I just got done with my third set of burpees and I was ready to just step off the bike path and be like, well, heart rate's way past where I anticipated and I still have four and a half miles to go. Um, but I did not. I did a farmer's blow in the first mile and opened up this gush of blood out my nose so I went down to do, I went down to do my second set of burpees and this faucet is like coming out on the the snow and so I had a bloody nose on every set of burpees for like four rounds and I'm just imagining the next person to go down that bike path <laughs> and just see blood spray I almost stopped I was like that can't be good for me but I did it did it every 800 meters you left burpee blood spray for for about no for four sets of burpees and then I stopped farmers blowing. And it, I think it clotted itself back up and I got home and looked in the mirror and I had like these red streaks down my mustache and it was a real day Bracken, but 50, 50, 29, I think it would have put me fifth or sixth place in the running public 10 K. So I would have got smoked, but you know, I lost at least what three pints of blood and Plus it was snow and ice. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, point being race mentality, race feeling, race heart rate. I know what it's going to feel like. And now the next three weeks, guess what happens? I go shorter, faster, spicier, quicker transitions. And it's all gloriously going to come together on race day. That's my plan. We are coming at this from opposite ends of the spectrum. I love it. You did your mini periodization. Yeah. You went threshold and longer, and now you're going to sharpen down. And I'm extending my intervals now. <laughs> for two guys for two guys who have this almost the same training philosophy, it's actually funny how you can still morph that philosophy within itself. It is. I started race pacer faster from week one of eight. Seven, really, seven. Mm -hmm. And I'm just extending time at pace. And you are cutting down to pace. I, I started longer and slower, yeah. yeah. TBD. TBD, indeed. TBD. So what pace were you holding in the snow and the ice on the run? I saw anywhere between 550 and 610 pace. The first two rounds, I was faster than that. I saw mm -hmm. 520, 530. It very quickly hit me, about mile and a half, as I had mentioned. And then it was just sort of 
if somebody were to pass me in a race at that point, I wouldn't have been able to respond. That's kind of, you know, how that feeling yeah. is. Uh, so I saw anywhere between 550 and 610. Again, the terrain wasn't perfect. It was okay in some spots. Um, that's were you was. in spiked shoes? No. I made the mistake of wearing my road shoes because I thought the trail would be dry and I had a two mile warm up to it and I didn't uh, want to come yeah. home to change because I figured it had been not snowy enough recently and it was a mistake, but it was packed down from traffic. So it wasn't terrible. I still do the high school thing where we jog to the track holding our shoes. I do that still as a 33 year old man. That's awesome. So I did it this week. I did a warm up holding my, my, my shoes. I have done that before, but, um, I assume that the trail would have enough cement exposed where spikes would have been a poor choice. Yeah. But what do you do? You run the risk of getting your shoes stolen though. No, you bury those in the snow this time of year. But then yeah, then I want to wear them home. Ah. Then they're ice cubes. Those are the two things you took from college, carrying your shoes to your workout, which we did as well. And that was then, high school actually for me. Oh, high school. We did yeah. college and high school. And then laying your clothes out the night before. Yep. That's it. That's <laughs> everything. Was, that's what I paid for. That was my what? 80 grand education, however much it was. And look what you're doing with it now. <laughs> doing it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm using it. Um, all right. Shall we get into what we're talking about today? We Back should. To Would you like to introduce our guests? Uh, yes. My name is Kirk DeWint, uh, personal trainer, endurance coach, and host of the Running Public podcast. Would you like to introduce the other guest? Bracken Crocker, male extraordinaire. A nice umbrella statement. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Bracken. Thank you. It's good to be here. Heard a lot about it. Hope I can do it justice. Yeah, I hope you're worthy. Um, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the, the, the journey of a runner, the training cycle of the life cycle of a runner. Kirk, you were talking about how it's really interesting that you and I started running when we were very young. And yet there are and we're still running now in our mid to late 30s. And we have guys that we coach and girls who are 40, 50, 60, who might be at the middle school version of our development. Exactly. That every runner hits the same lifetime development, just on a different scale, at a different time, and on a different compressed or expanded rate. Yeah. I love the theory of that. We, um, we've been wanting to talk about this for a little while. Today's, today was the day that we we're going to talk about this to you. It's not necessarily a training Tuesday. This is more of a storytelling slash how can you relate to others at different phases of their career, their performance levels. And, and like you outlined, you know, how long have we been at this now, Brack? And I started competing in eighth grade, uh, dabbled before that. How old was I in eighth grade? I think I was 14 or 13, 14, I believe. So how many years is that now? 20, whatever, three. I'm at 21. And so many, and you're at 21, and so many of you guys listening are, I, I don't know about you, Bracken, but like my athletes, like they're like, I started running two years ago, three years ago. I'm just getting into it and I need your help. They are us, they're in their early developmental stage. And I think it's just going to be fun to outline. We're going to go back to the beginning for us, sort of lessons learned in the phases of our experience, some good influential coaches along the way, and we're going to walk you through it and maybe you'll learn a thing or two as well. So that's the plan. That is the plan. And on, on the website where we list our, our episodes, we have two types. We have Training Tuesday and we have Weekend Long Run. And this is going to be the perfect Weekend Long Run. This is stories and lessons. And that's that's what I'm about in this world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would like, I would like I don't know, over under on half a dozen car analogies maybe by the end oh, of the Oh, it's going to be way under. <laughs> I'm not teaching today. I'm recounting stories. 
That's different. So let's, with that intro, uh, my guest, Bracket Cracker, take me back to your first ever, what? Go ahead. You're responsible for people forgetting my last name again. Because <laughs> you like saying Cracker instead of Crocker. And now people are starting to get confused again. It has more to do with your skin. It's, I can't fight it. Cracker. Um, bring us back to your first competitive running experience. Well, we, every year... Uh, we have the West Dallas, West Milwaukee Recreation Department in our city. And every, so it, they encompass many sports, but it's based around baseball and these recreation departments, the okay. rec centers. And they're playgrounds with a, a facility where they have, they're staffed by usually college kids. And all summer long, they're open from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And kids can just come and stay all day long. At come and go as they please and just play, hang out. It's a safe place. Each one of those rec centers has their own sports teams. So okay. it's like West Milwaukee versus the rec department versus Longfellow, like all these different schools or names where they reside. It becomes like your little gang, your positive gang, so to speak. And so you have baseball season all summer and all these other things you do, but it becomes your little family there. But they have once per summer, they have this big festival that they put on and it's kicked off with a fun run okay. and so every i would race once per year from the moment i could run and you'd always look up and you'd see the middle school and high school kids who would win the race it was usually a mile or a mile and a half long fun run and then the competitive wave would go everyone who wanted to win was up front and they go off and then the community would cycle through and then there's a parade later in the day and there's always free open swimming at the park and all this cookouts it was a big deal and it was there was a, it was local legend status to anyone who'd win the race, and so I spent years flailing away, getting out as hard as I could from age probably seven on, and watching the high school kids lope away and win the race. And I just dreamed that one day I'd win it. And they and put so, you all together, no matter what your age. You just went out. Whoever there. wanted to fight their way to the top, it was all comers. <clears throat> okay. One person takes home the prize, and I think it was just a trophy. There was that was it, but it was bragging rights. And so I raced every year from seven until I finally won it for the first time. At uh, age? Uh, between eighth grade and ninth grade that summer, I won it. That's right. And it was, to date, the most painful race I'd ever run. But I, I started running track in seventh grade. I ran seventh and eighth grade track. And that consisted of, you go to track practice three or four times a week, you do a race on the weekend, and that's the only time you think about running. Totally. Yeah, that's how it is at that stage, though. For most places, yeah, we didn't have a track club. There was the uh, sprint track clubs in the city, but I wasn't a sprinter. And so it was one guy coached every event and there was no specific training and that was it. And I, I still want to hear about your very first crack at this race. Yeah. When you were, what, seven? I don't know. How old oh, were they, you? They, they were all the same. Everyone would sprint off the line. You'd feel no pain for a quarter mile, and then the race would settle in. You'd get a side cramp, and then you'd just stumble <laughs> in miserable across the line, and you'd go and get an icy and a hot dog. <laughs> That's it. <Well, laughs> That's it. Did your parents, uh, just going back to that, not everybody had this upbringing. Did your parents uh, bring you and be like, back in today, we're running? No. If, if people go back and listen to the Get to Know Your Hosts, episode of where I was interviewed, they'll, they'll remember that my parents never pushed anything other than finishing. They never pushed a, an event, a competition, a sport, an activity on us. We got to choose what it was. They would support us to the ends of the earth for it. But if we started it, we had to finish it. And so that was, this was on us. We, I was a competitor from day one. 
I was the kid who cheated at, at Monopoly and go fish to try to win. I was the kid who cried when I when I lost games. Like I, competition is all I was wired to do from a very early age, and so I looked forward all summer to this. Okay, so this was something that you embraced. As it was a huge deal to to young Bracken. And I just want to follow my line of questioning. I'm sure you'll turn it eventually onto me, but um, so this would be the infancy of your racing. Yeah. No coaching, no real training. You nope. were a child playing in the yard and doing things. What lessons were learned in the very beginning, naive stages of Bracken's racing? Unfortunately, I learned lessons that haunted me for decades. And it was that I was too competitive to lose and I was never trained or good enough to win. I couldn't just go out and run away from people. And so my only hope was to get on to people and make it till the end and out sprint them. That's what I did at, I tried to do at these races. That's what I did in seventh and eighth grade track. I ran the same pace if I was running the 400, the 800 or the mile until the last hundred or 200 meters. And then I would sprint. Just didn't matter. Didn't matter. I had no concept of it. I knew I wanted to win and I knew I was a bit afraid of blowing up and it hurt so bad to race at the level I wanted to race because I didn't have training to back it up that I would do whatever it took to get to the end of the race and then I was free with 100 or 200 meters to go to sprint all the way to the finish. So you were a sitting kicker. Through and through, and that haunted me, Kirk, for a long time. But that was the lesson I learned early, which was I blew up too many times at the fun run, and no longer was I going to do that. I was going to do the least amount of work possible until it was time to just pour it on and, and close the show. Who knew that the fun run could be the Achilles heel of someone's racing fitness? Yeah, that that was that planted the seed. It was confirmed in high school, which is we'll get to that. But growing up through middle school, all I I didn't there was no coaching, there was no anything. It was just here's the events you're going to run. Show up five minutes before. Make sure your shoes are tied and run. I didn't know, learn about warming up. I didn't learn about off season training. I didn't learn about running strides or dynamic exercises. I didn't learn about race strategy. I didn't learn about what kind of shoes to wear. All I was told was make sure you show up to the race on time and just run your hardest. Mm. And I think a lot of people start out at that, right? The, if you start out super young, for sure. I see it now. I see people that their only goal is to make it to the start line. They don't warm up. They don't do any of that stuff. It's just show up. I'm going to try my hardest on a race day, but I'm going to live my normal life in between. And that's okay. It is. That's okay. Probably not for the people listening, but that's okay. Probably not. But that's beginning runner stage right there. Your upbringing was a little different but similar as well. So walk us through, what was your first recollection of being a competitive runner? Uh, well, I'm gonna preface this with the fact that I was a very shy kid, which may or may not come as a surprise, I don't know. Um, shy or to the point where like, I might go to like an extended family thing and walk in the door, turn bright red be, to see my aunts and uncles shy, right? And it'd take me a while to warm up. This is a real young kid. <clears throat> and then luckily in fifth and sixth grade, I found like I became good at athletics or at least found the things I was good at. And it built a lot of confidence and then bled into the rest of my life. Right. Which is super important. It's molded everything about who I am. But my first race was in fifth grade before I really started embracing maybe who I was. The Hershey race came to town to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Do you know what the Hershey's races are? Everyone who grew up running knows about Hershey races. Well, it never had come to Green Bay. It wasn't a big enough city, I think, to mm -hmm. pull or put a race. So 
We had the Hershey races. I was in fifth grade. My mom saw it in the paper. Still got you know, the paper back then. And uh, it was right down the street, the local track, the high school track. And I was in fifth grade. And I knew my dad. I, I mentioned this in the last podcast. My dad was a state champion cross-country runner. And I'd watch him run some races as a kid. And I thought, like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to dominate. Uh, and uh, I think a theme between me and you, Bracken, is um, I ran the 800 meters, two laps around the track. Didn't seem like it'd be so bad. Uh, went out, led the whole first 300 meters, um, probably ran, I don't know, 40 seconds <laughs> and then could not continue to run the rest of the way, got passed by every single kid that showed up to run, took dead last. And with my lack of confidence at that point, it was tears. It was run to your mommy mm-hmm. and bury your face. Cause I was so embarrassed of my performance. Nobody told me how to run. I wasn't running and training. And in fact, I believe I could have maybe won that race if I knew what I was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. I actually do believe that. Um, however, that was my first racing experience. I went out hot and fast and bulletproof, ended up, I think, shedding tears and crying to mommy. By the time the thing ended, and wanted nothing more than to get out of there. So embarrassed. That was my first taste of competition ever. Did you walk out of there hungry or just, I will never touch this again? Didn't want to touch it again. What went I uh, went to sixth grade, uh, mile was a mandatory fitness test in gym mm-hmm. class and I won around like 626 or something or 620, the gym class mile. And now I ran 611. Anyways, did that. And then, uh, one of the cross country coaches or track coaches, I think they must pry the, the, uh, teachers for, uh, like what kids ran fast in the mile. I'd like to know. And he approached me and said, would you like to try to run track with us? And I said, nope. I was so scared of that happening. I said, no. Seventh grade, same thing. I ran 550 in the high school mile. Came back to me, said, would you like to come? I said, nope. That one moment scared me so bad, Bracken. I said, no, all the way until eighth grade when we had a program at my middle school. I said, no, because that moment was like ruined for me. Because nobody told me any better. Nobody knew. I knew my dad was a stallion and champion, but he didn't know. I, I didn't. My mom was just like, oh, Kirky, it's okay. I love you anyways. And nobody told me any different. So I just envisioned that being potentially uh, how it went from there. And do you want to know the, the kicker of this whole thing, Bracken? I do, of course. I finally joined in eighth grade because I ran like 529 in the gym class mile. And then finally he's like, listen, like you need to run. Like you have to. Like... So went out, he put me in the 400 meters for my first race, went out in about 26, barely made the finish line and got past by three people in the last 50 meters. Again, it happened to my first two races. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what you do learn in those early years. Again, I was so embarrassed. I was ashamed, but I had somebody to pat me on the back. I had somebody to help me at that point. Finally say, Hey, that's not you in practice. That's not, you ran like a, a dummy that doesn't know any better. Let me help you. And he coddled me back into it. And then eventually I understood effort and pacing. But um, for those of you who don't know your body, for those of you who are newer in your first couple of years, I mean, most of you go out way too hot and end up just, you know, limping home. Here's your case in point. Bracken and I have both been through it. And I've been through it in epic blowups as a young child. (laughs) So that would be my first bit coming up. Any coaching at that time? Did you receive any guidance? In eighth grade, finally, yeah. I mean, eighth grade, I had a coach and we went through intervals and we did, Mm -hmm. I think our long run was like three miles. I think we met three days a week, maybe four days a week. Sounds about right. Um, I didn't win a race until, I don't know if I won a race. Mm -hmm. We had some fast kids. I ran 5'11 in the mile, got out kicked once, 
but saw potential. I was underdeveloped, probably like you. But um, I had him, Lyman Fisher. He ended up being my math teacher um, later on. I was actually not good at math, so it created a weird relationship because he was like, you're my boy, but like you should not be in advanced math anymore, Kirk. So he had to demote me out of advanced math, but like bring me up as an athlete. It was bizarre. Um, but yes, I had, I had guidance. But, but I think the biggest thing about our first experience is just what I said, man. Like, they're not perfect. No, they're not. They're not. And, and I think one of the dangerous points is realize is not realizing that they're first experiences and that they're not perfect. It's thinking that this is me and this is something that will always I'll have to worry about. Do you know what, though, talking about this with you, it makes me think like ignorance is bliss, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see somebody go out and just grab a race by the balls. And sometimes it's what it takes. And look what we we might have lost at times because of those experiences. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes it'd be like maybe five, fifth grade idiot Kirk should come out once in a while still play a little because now my training backs it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're boom or bust when you're a novice. Yeah. But you have the potential to boom. It's true. And sometimes you lose that over the years. So then I moved into high school yep. and we, we've talked about this, but I was. Wait, um, I'm not satisfied. You didn't run anything but this race through middle school. No, that was the summer. I ran, I ran track, but we'd meet three times a week and we didn't do any sort of training, just jog around or play f- flag football or ultimate Frisbee or something. But you raced. I raced. Yeah. I ran the, the 800 in the, in the, um, in the mile. And then I would run some four by one. Uh-huh. You, need, you needed bodies. Yeah. What did you, so what were your best in high school or middle school? So, 242, 800. 242? In, in 532 mile, which tells you. I did the same, like I said, I did the same pace for both. I just kicked from farther out in the 800 meters. <laughs> That's, that, they don't correlate. No, five, what, 542 is, I mean, 242 is, what, 524 mile? Yeah. So I was, I was only, what is that, 10 seconds behind my mile pace. So I really just did the same thing. I had no concept of how to pace. And I was, I won our conference, our, our I was in a parochial school. I won the conference 800 and mile by kicking from behind each race and I would get smashed in the invitationals. There's a guy named Ryan Burkholz. I don't know if you know that name. He's yeah, from Burlington right. area. He ran 440 in seventh grade. You know, he's a stud. And then we had Ryan Gasper in our Badger State Games and Junior Olympic circuit. He and Ryan Bur- he and Burkholz were, you know, in the 440s, 430s in eighth grade. And they were running sub 10 minute, two mile. It was 3K at the time, but equivalent of sub 10 minute, two miles what? in eighth grade. Were they the kids who had like a five o'clock shadow mustache as like a 11 Burkholz didn't. Oh, sorry. Uh, Gasper did not, but Burkholz did. Burkholz yeah. was the same size and weight as an eighth grader as he was when he graduated high school. <laughs> okay. Because sometimes you see those kids. A kid that always beat me in, in middle school, Casey Bins, had a full on beard in eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But continue. And so I would get smashed by these guys. These, these were the guys that showed up with track spikes. I think uh, I, I want to say they had Jasari's in eighth grade. You know, they had $100 track spikes. They had their running shorts. They trained. Uh, and they were good. Ryan Burkholz went on to take a full scholarship to Oklahoma State. And Ryan Gasper took a full scholarship to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And they were studs. But I was not. So I was good enough at my my conference level. But at the state level, I was just worked over by these guys. And so I went to eighth grade. And I grew a bit that summer and I came on to campus, or sorry, ninth grade. I went to high school campus to start cross country and you have to get your sports physical. And I was five foot, one half inch. And I was adamant that they make me break five foot. I did not want to be 4'11". So I, I stretched up as high as I could to break five feet and I was 102 pounds. At what age? 
uh, freshman of high school. When you started? Yes. You were littler than I was. Yeah, I was a tiny little runt. In fact, I just found a picture of it. Maybe we'll post it <clears throat> for this episode. It's You should. It's it's really good. I got some too. If you want, if we could put them back side side by sides, freshman. I think we should. We'll do that. That'll be the the album art for this. I'll see what yeah. I can find. So I show up on campus, campus, but high school. It felt like campus. I was coming from a small parochial school to a a public high school with two thousand plus students, and all I knew is that I know no one at this high school. But if I'm gonna make my way, it's through sports. I'm a little kid and there are adults around me and I, I only get noticed. So I, I quit soccer. I went out for cross country and our coach was probably best case scenario for having a coach that doesn't know anything. He had a fantastic heart. His name was Dale Lindenberg. Still is still alive. One of the, the best humans I've met just had a heart for kids and for humans and developing people into like real adults from children. And he didn't know a thing about running, but he was really passionate about us. And so he nurtured us and guided us, but we had basically three workouts we did. We'd run um, four by 800, four or six by 800. We'd run three by mile, or we'd do a seven to eight mile hard long run. This is your freshman year of high school is what you're- Yes, okay. in cross country. That's all we did. And so every day was race day. He basically said, what do you want out of this? I said, I want to run varsity. He said, those are the varsity guys. If you want to run varsity and, um, and you just get up there and you run with them. And so I did. And I thrashed myself every day of practice. And that was the story of my year. I ran decently well. I ran 18, I think 24 for the 5k that year for, uh, I was basically built like a 10 year old girl. So I was, I was, <laughs> I was doing okay, but I, I was yeah. just always running hard no structural guidance just emotional support which was fantastic a lot of people don't get that but yeah it's again set me back because I was underdeveloped didn't have any strength and so i'd sit at the high end of my comfort zone in races and close hard so that i didn't embarrass myself and i didn't i was too tired to run hard from the gun because i cranked everything in training so what'd you learn that year i learned i was tough when i was in the race we did a freshman invitational and i won it Okay. But in the varsity races, I would just run at high end of comfortable. I realized that year I was tough if I was engaged. In the, in the hunt. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense to me. That'd How be like, your... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that'd be like, I wouldn't even say maybe like all of our young experiences combined are like your year one or, you know, the, the learning curve is a little different when you're younger, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't reflect as much, we'll, we'll say, but um you know, our first upbringings are your first like couple races Yeah, where you're like, oh my God. Tell you it's what, another thing I learned, yes. I learned early on there that endurance was not my forte. There were a lot of kids that you hear it all the time now too, but a lot of kids were like, I feel like I don't even get moving until, until mile one or two. And for me, it was my race is done by then. I feel phenomenal through a mile by mile and a half. I'm miserable. And by mile two, like all I can do is fade. I'm just bleeding yeah. out. And I learned that early on that year. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, then, you know, I mean, but that's still valuable knowledge. Yeah, very valuable. But it's funny that Bracken at 33 is no different than Bracken at 13, that my skill set's my skill set. Yeah, but it, I mean, the percentage has shifted as far as certainly capability. Yeah. But. For me, I went to, um, so I went on to be a freshman in high school. I told the story, I might get to know me, so we don't need to get into it. But I went out for soccer, didn't start the first game. 
and did a little running that summer because I knew I wanted to be in shape for soccer. Anyways, didn't start the first game. Some of the kids were kind of pricks to me. It was a new, you know, merging of students in a school, right? Like from different middle schools. And so I showed up at cross country practice the day before a race. Luckily for me, my cross country coach was my middle school track coach. Mm -hmm. Happened to be the same person. Very Lyman Fisher. He's the man. I had fed very good coaches. Anyways, knowing my tendencies from the stories I told you previously, uh, he put me in the JV race at our first race. It was like a, I don't know, a 14 meter or whatever. And, and, I, and he said, you know how you go out like too fast? Usually he said, why don't you just, you cannot be in the lead until we hit the mile mark. If you are, you're in trouble. Took everything in me to not take the lead from the start. And once we hit the mile mark, I ripped it out and, and won by like three minutes, right? In the JV race. And I think it was solely, if I would have had advice like that earlier in my career, maybe I would have, I would have had different stories to tell you, but, mm -hmm. um, and then so it began. And then I learned, I learned strategy. I learned listening and understanding your body and through consistent training, but the biggest lesson I learned. And once I learned my first hard lesson was like holding back in a longer race is still your key to running your fastest or your best time. And as a, a child, you don't know that. And if somebody who doesn't know their body very well, whether you're four, 15 like I was, or you're 35 or you're 55, not knowing your body very well, like that just has to come with experience. And you're going to mm -hmm. have to eat dust once in a while and crash and burn once in a while. And so um, that simple conversation beforehand, he just refused to uh, allow me to, he, that was his one instruction. He knew what he had. He knew what to do with it. And I'll never forget that day and what I learned. So that would have been lesson number two for me. That's interesting. I like that. Do you need to give complicated instructions? Really? Do you need to overthink it? Maybe not. Yeah. So let's walk through then. Let's walk through the rest of your high school career um, and things from that point. Well, I stagnated. I had a decent freshman track season, but it got worse each week. I was still over. I was racing workouts. And then there were some kids that came out that didn't run cross country. They came out from other sports and they were better than me. And that was hard for me. And I settled into the role of two miler because no one else wanted to run it. And I had no speed whatsoever. I ran a 527 mile that year, which was only five seconds faster than eighth grade me. And I was very frustrated about that because all the other freshmen were breaking five in the mile. And I ran like a 220 800 and they were all running 208, 210. As freshman, yeah. Yeah. And I was I was suddenly the odd man out. I was the best freshman cross country runner and I was an afterthought in track. So I took to the two mile and I got better each race. But I then I entered a holding pattern. We again we had we had um Coach Wersbicky and Coach Lindenberg. Those were the two, and they loved kids and didn't know running too well. So I didn't get coaching, I got support, which was great, but I needed a kick in the pants and I needed direction. Mm -hmm. And I didn't train in the off seasons. And then my sophomore year, I think I ran, I finally broke five. I ran 453. I ran 1024 in a two mile. I was starting to feel like a decent runner. My junior year, I came out and we got a new coach. Uh, we had a guy, Dan Hookstra, who I'd like to have on the podcast eventually. He had just finished running 1432 at Calvin College for 5K. He was a D3 All-American and he came and took a science job at our high school and came on as assistant coach. And he immediately, hopefully head coach listened. Head coach was a great person. And so he said, take over the workouts. You do your thing. I'm here to support. So again, Dale Lindenberg's a great man. And he just ceded control right away, as far as I could tell. Who knows what the inner workings were, but he's a great man. So uh, Dan Hookstra took over and started working us. 
and started implementing different workouts. And he ran with the front group each day and tried to teach us to not kill each rep and didn't, didn't take too well with me. Um, I liked him, but I still was too competitive. And then that summer, he started running with guys in the off season and I didn't want any part of that. And then that winter after a sophomore year going in or after junior cross country, going into junior track, I was playing basketball and he started running. And I remember my buddy, Jeff Claves, who went on to become my college roommate my freshman year, they ran 576 miles that, that winter together. They just wouldn't shut up about 576 miles and Jeff's going to be so fit for track. And looking back, he was trying to light a fire underneath me, but I resented it. And I thought, I don't need that. I have, I'm going to be just fine. And I cut one second off my mile that year. And I got 20 seconds slower in the two mile because I grew that year. Finally, I started to grow and I gained weight and I didn't put in any work and I got worse. And Jeff did not. Jeff was now the fastest guy on the team and we were friends, but I resented his success. And that was the turning point for me. That's good fuel. I decided my senior year I was going to work. And I think I ran, I went from... Seventeen twenty-eight to seventeen sixteen in cross country. Like it just wasn't. I didn't get any better. So I worked that off season. And so that coach coming in, showing us the way. He wasn't a hard driver. He didn't get in our face. He just ran with anyone who wanted to run any day of the week they wanted to run. He just led by example. Said, "I'm. I realize it's my first year here. I'm just going to show you the way a stud performs. And then anyone who wants to come up with it, I am there for you." That's awesome. And so I was a year late to the party. I rejected it for a year and then I showed up. So what was the lesson learned there, Bracken? Well, the lesson learned is that showing up each year doesn't guarantee progression. Hitting well, spot workouts here and there, working really hard in season, playing basketball on the weekend, doing stuff like that. That doesn't guarantee getting older, getting stronger, growing a little didn't guarantee anything. And getting older on the other end of the life. Yeah. Doesn't guarantee you're going to get slower either. No. Showing up each day has nothing to do with it. Showing up with purpose and consistency and intent, that leads to progression. And I learned that as a senior in high school. I witnessed it as a junior and it cemented for me my senior year then. I came out for cross country. I'd run a bit in the summer. It hadn't hit enough yet. And I was okay. I ran 16.53 and I got out kicked for the first time in my life for the final spot to go to state. I got out leaned at the line. I told this story. I sprained my ankle the week before and at conference took like 24th because I was hobbling just to get team points and I couldn't get up on my toes and sprint and I got out kicked by Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell. Went on to run at Stevens Point. So I got to race a time or two in in college. We had just uh, enough gap between, I was gone by the time you were in college. So I think, I think we just, our overlap is just missing a little bit. And that, and that hit me harder than being jealous of Jeff did. Failing. And being so close, our team missed state by two points and I missed state by a hundredth of a second. It's as close as you can get. And so I went off in the woods and I cried and I decided that I was going to never feel that way again. And I worked all winter. Isn't it funny how, God, everybody takes failure as such a hard lesson. It's a hard day. It's the Mm -hmm. worst ever, right? It's the worst failure of that proportion. I don't know if you guys who haven't run high school level team sport like that who's also individual but like people knew his teammates knew he got out kicked bracket people knew that that one difference might have been the difference between going to state or not like a letdown of that proportion when all you do is care about that sport is life shattering right at the time it was i was 17 year old i thought i was basically a man and i'm walking in the woods just sobbing 
You know, that damn quote, it's like, I never fail. I either win or I learn, right? Yeah. It's so cliche, but like it is, it spurs the next level of growth. So it's just like super interesting to hear how you had to learn that lesson. You had to fail. You had to be upset and disappointed to even understand where to go next. And I was told, my dad, we've gone over this in my interviews. My dad was a professional athlete. My my older sister is a professional athlete. My mom was a state champion. Everyone around me was a successful athlete. And they all told me what I needed to do. My dad always said, hey, would you like to lift with me today? I'll go for a run with you or I'll bike next to you while you're on. You want to do that. But he never pushed. He offered because he knew it's your path. You have to feel it. And I couldn't. There are people you hear it once and that's all you have to tell them. My son, Brayden, is like that. I will tell him once and he never has to be told again. My daughters are going to have to learn the hard way like me. And so I had to learn it. And so I was at that stage in my running career where I heard people talking about things. Maybe it's 80-20. Maybe it's hard, hard, easy, easy. Maybe it's committing in the off season. Maybe it's consistency. Maybe it's raising your volume. And like, you know, a lot of people in their life do, I scoffed at it and said, doesn't matter. I'll be fine. And I wasn't. And I paid for it with embarrassment. Good lessons learned. Good lessons learned. I'm going to go to my next now. Yeah, do it. Um, So we're walking ourselves through. And after my freshman year, I got a taste of what success was like. I started to learn my body and effort started to show up to practice every day. And started to identify as a runner. The team we went to state as a team, as a freshman, we by like a point. I was our third scorer at state or at sectionals, and I got really embraced by a team. And I seemed to build my confidence and learn. Anyways, all that. Ended up running seventeen oh four as a freshman, which I was very happy with. That's cruising. Yeah, and that puts you up as one of the top freshmen in the state. I was the third. Yeah, fastest behind Matt Ashy, who ended up going on to win, and then. Somebody else. And then my sophomore year was another big, big year for me. 1640 and uh, won all our city county conference meets as a sophomore. Um, Healthy year. Learn again, just learn to push. Track was great. Went to state and track and cross country, individually qualified in cross country. Went on a four by eight um, in track and it was fantastic. And then I just learned confidence. I learned my body. I learned what it was like to hurt for the first time. I learned what it was like to like do workouts and what a long run even was and all that. And then my junior year started my initial health struggles with injury. And I like pinched a nerve in my back and I learned two things. I learned, uh, I was out three full weeks before our first big meet of the year, the city meet. <clears throat> and my coach, what is a, what does a high school coach make in the nineties Bracken? For high coaching, school co- just cross for country? Coaching? Oh, I don't know. What do you make? Fifteen hundred bucks. Fifteen hundred, two thousand. If he's if the school really takes care of him. Okay, fifteen hundred bucks. He got special access to the pool for me. He came and personally coached me outside of practice in the pool every single morning at six or five thirty or six a.m. before school started, where he had to go teach and I had to go to school. Then I went to practice and took splits for the team because I couldn't run. And I learned what it meant to have somebody in your corner. He said, "Dang it, I believe in you." And I don't want you to fall by the wayside. And Coach Fisher met me in that damn pool every day and gave me a workout. I don't know if he knew anything about swimming or not, but for three weeks straight, went to that damn pool, cross-trained. This is the first time now where, you know, I'm kind of pro-cross-training at this point. (laughs) I think people know that. Damn pool, hour-long swims, interval sessions. Uh, Said it wasn't worth it. I did a shakeout run, my first run back the day before the Green Bay City meet, coming back as the defending champion from the year prior. Went out and won won that shit again. Felt like very inefficient, very clunky, three weeks of no running with my coach in my corner. And I went back and I won by a bigger margin than the last year. And that was like a huh moment for me. Mm -hmm. Like I thought my world was over and I was so disappointed. My coach had known 
And all he had to do is just shake me and say, no, get your ass in the pool. Let's, let's not give up right now, Kirk. And so he did that with me. Um, some of my college or my high school teammates joined for extra practice. He offered it up to the team and said, Hey, you guys want to get more fit? A few of the top varsity guys joined me and collectively as a unit, we became better. So I learned what being dedicated to your athlete meant. And I also learned that being injured was not uh, a death sentence of sorts. So I went on to have a, a decent junior year, reclaimed all my titles, county conference, all that stuff. Um, and it was fantastic. That story duplicated itself my senior year. I had a stress fracture in my tibia that I developed uh, one before cross season and another before track season. So I went into both seasons not running, um, learned to do cross training, and ended up still PRing in both seasons in all of my sports. Didn't take a day off, didn't feel sorry for myself, had some help. Um, and then went on to PR in all my events as a senior and cross track uh, in all my, in all my yeah, 800 mile, two mile, all of it. And none of it was done perfectly. I actually would write my log on a just a calendar, like a calendar you hang on the wall that could have like a picture of anything on it. Like it's an animal calendar with like mm -hmm. a tiger. It's June. And I would just write my little mile markers in the corner for the day. And I think my highest mileage was 11 miles in one week. Maybe, maybe I hit 15. Uh, and I was supplementing with the other stuff that works. From the beginning, I've been piecing this together. And so I learned very early that as long as you can keep your head in the game, and you have somebody else who's going to help you do it. My coach, who certainly made, what, five cents an hour with the time you put into all this? Yeah. <laughs> Teen traveling. Um, those lessons came pretty early for me. So I learned those right away, those two major ones. Like having somebody to guide you, having somebody who cares about you. And then also like your world is not over if you get injured. I'm sure there's like 12 of you listening who just got injured in this last week. <laughs> and you think your life's over. Just like don't throw a pity party and get to work. That's one of those things you can't trust until you experience it. Until you come off your first injury with fitness intact and it comes back quickly, you cannot trust that it'll work for you. It's not perfect. It's not like I came back in my first race was like the skies parted and I was this beautiful flowing stride. Uh, the next year when I came back my senior year, I came back to the city meet, my first meet back. I took fourth place. I won it. I was the returning champ for two years. Next meet, went to county, took third place, and then it popped. And then like it eventually still set me up to run the fastest I ever had. Doesn't mean like... It was glorious by any means, but when you fight and claw for something, there's only one option and that the options you're going to show up and you're going to, you know, I'm using the same mentality going into Jacksonville. I'll be all right. Yeah. Could be worse. So yeah. So that would be, that would be my high school lessons learned. Um, the biggest ones I would say. So that winter for me, coach Hookstra went from, I'm going to show you what to do. So now I can see you're taking some reins and you're running here and I'm going to help you out here. Mm -hmm. So he talked with me about a plan. He said, I know you're going to play basketball and I wouldn't tell you not to, but you've got to run as well. He said, so what I would do if I were you is I would just, you're growing this year. You've already started to grow. You need to lift. That's going to help your process of growing to avoid getting gangly and then just run easy a couple days a week. And then at basketball practice, treat all your conditioning like interval sessions. And so that's what I did. I, I, this is where I learned that I'm at my best when I wake up early to work out. So as a senior, I got up at six o'clock every morning and I went into school and I either lifted or I ran and I'd lift two days a week and I'd run three days per week. And then after school, I went to basketball and everything I did, I treated it at game speed for conditioning. And then every line drill we had to run, every suicide, all I did was think about indoor track. So we had our own indoor track. We were lucky to have a field house. Even though, if I recall, though, like basketball had your heart more than track. 
in season it did i was more passionate about it but i was supremely passionate about racing as well i didn't Mm -hmm. love running yet but i loved racing and uh, and our conference was a powerhouse distance conference at the time and whoever won the indoor mile race joined the list of the local legends and that's all i thought about i'm going to win the indoor mile race because no one expects me to i ran 453 as a sophomore 452 as a junior no one's expecting me but i've grown six inches i've lifted all winter i've run all winter and i'm working hard my speed work is non-existent but these basketball drills i'm running in more lactic than anyone else is running in right now now that's all i dreamed about i went to bed early every night played basketball hard but i ran in between and we got to indoor track and all i dreamed about that indoor mile every single night leading up to it and i won it you did we were warming up and I had this moment of like, oh no, where like I almost threw up. It just like rose up in me this panic because everyone went out, left the field house to go start their warm up for the mile. Everyone who was serious went outside to warm up. You could because t- it was cold. It's yeah, yeah. what February. We did that in college, yeah. And so you knew who was serious in high school by who left the building to go warm up outside. And we go outside, and I'm in my sweatpants and my fleece. And these guys are all in running tights or running pants. And this one guy had massive, his calves are like blowing out his pants. And the, everyone else, they look so thin, but muscular and fast. And I thought, who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? And I had to turn and run the opposite way. So I didn't look at their strides at how beautiful they looked. Yep. And by the end of the warm up, I said, no, because that me, if I believe that, that means that everything I did this winter was useless. You got so, sweet calves back. I have little calves. They're sweet though. They're sweet. And I decided to convince myself on my warm up run no. 30 minutes before race that I should actually race. And I reconvinced myself. And then by the time I got back into the gym, it was, they have no idea. They look so good in their running tights and their official running clothes. And I'm sitting here looking like a basketball player warming up and they have no, they don't even know who I am and they have no clue. And the race went out and this one kid, Mackenzie Laska, who still runs in the area, was notorious for getting out too hard and fading and he got out and the rest of us packed up and i was in probably sixth but just sitting on the previous the reigning conference champ's shoulder and he had run in the 420s the year before and won the 930 in the two mile and so i was worlds behind the guy and i just sat on him for the first quarter and then the first half and then the race started to splinter and i just moved up and i moved up and with about 600 to go i just went for it and with 300 to go i took the lead and just blasted everybody away and that was the change the turning point for me as an athlete right there it was that i had spent three months thinking about one moment every single day and i learned the power of visualization and just a finite tiny little pinprick of focus i didn't care about anything else but the indoor mile for three months and i didn't deserve to win it on paper but i think i thought about it more than any other person and that's when i realized my process was a I have to work out in the morning and B, I have to obsess over one small piece of it. What did you run? Well, that day I ran 440. On that track, first race of the year. Yeah. 160 meter Ooh, indoor yeah. track, can't wear spikes because it's just rubber. And I think we probably went out in in 230 and then closed in like 210 Fast. or something like that. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I mean, I cranked it down. Uh, and then a week later I went outdoors and I ran 429 in my first outdoor mile. And I was just never the same again. But it was because of that indoor, right? So I, I had the guidance from someone and I'd finally had enough failure in my life that I decided to commit and instantly. It was just like, all right, you show up consistently with purpose and there's your reward. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. That's a big switch, actually. That is a huge shift in fitness, man. That is that is bigger than any jump. Nah, it's bigger than any jump in high school I made for sure. I was a different person, though. I went from five foot, 102 pounds to 5'11", 155, you know? I was an I was a different person. I went from a little boy to a to a young man in 18 months and I put the work in. So there were some things in my corner, but it was entirely the shift in being a passive participant to actively controlling my training. Yeah, but you grew in your junior year and you got slower. Yeah. So it, it was a mindset. It was For a sure. time investment shift. I think everybody listening can probably relate in the sense like uh, you probably got something coming up that you can't stop thinking about. You can't stop obsessing over. There's yeah. a little bit of that in us, any successful athlete, right? Yeah. And suddenly that clicked for you. And it was mostly because you failed a shitload and because you had a chip on your shoulder. That yeah, was literally I, it. And I've lived my life with a chip on my shoulder as an athlete because I was always the smallest. And so that's how I survived. But we talked about my middle school mentality of I won't lead because I'm afraid of blowing up. Well, my freshman year, Coach Lindenberg, God bless him, he imparted some some knowledge on me before my very first race. And he said, do not take the lead until you know you can keep it. That's pretty good advice for a guy that doesn't know running. Yeah, It was the worst advice I could have received mm-hmm. because I was already scared to go out and hurt. And this was a JV mile and I sat on some guy and I won it. I sat on some guy I should have been a lap ahead of. And I sat uh, and I sat and then I sprinted the last lap and I won. And he's like, great job. I'm so glad, like so happy for you. And you did what we said. And it cemented in me. Like, I love that feeling yeah. of waiting and kicking. And it plagued me then. It plagued me because of that. So that, that year, even though I had some really, really good things happen, I still was not a front runner. I still only ran as fast as I'd run one tenth faster than the next fastest person. As the race dictated, yeah. And so he, I know I told this story on my interview, but he recognized that and he used it to trick me into running that 429 outdoors. You remember that? Got to a yeah, race. Re- yeah, retell the story. We got to the race late and it was cold and their stud from the other school is supposed to be running. And he came up and said, yeah, he's got a hamstring thing. He's not going to run. Their second fastest guy is going to run. So it's cold. We don't have a ton of warm up time. Just just sit on them and get the win. Knowing full well he was there running, but because he knew I would run to whatever level I needed to to get to that last lap, if I expected that I was capable of doing that, I would, and so I did. And then I kicked him on the home stretch and ran four twenty nine. And then so he, he he it was again he used my weakness for me, but it was a, another instance of someone stepping in and saying, "I see you have this weakness." that I may have helped create, but that outside influence can sometimes just be a huge mindset shift. When did he come clean about that? He never did. He he always would do this thing where he would play dumb, but really obvious where you knew he, that he knew that you knew. He, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. said, oh, I don't know. I thought that was him. And I just don't know what to tell you, you know, real obvious. <laughs> and that was his way of saying like, I've got you, don't worry. Uh-huh. I like this guy. Like, Is this the guy you'd want to interview maybe someday? Uh, this is a guy you and I should go to his house and hang out and have a beer or two and play on his little nine hole course that he built on his land. No, he's doing all right. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, no, we talk about coaching a lot, but a lot of the lessons learned come from, you know, being taught ourselves, of course, but there's always somebody to guide us down a path, right? Coaching is 
there's a lot of warriors, which I honestly, I actually really appreciate it. Like the amount of people out there that are, it's like the blind leading the blind, right? Like mm -hmm. their hearts in it and they know they say it excites them and they want to compete, complete a trifecta and they do what they can to learn, but maybe, you know, don't steal, they still could use a little bit more advice. And that's where having a good coach or coaching or somebody who knows a little more than you do to bounce your ideas off of. Heck, that's how this started, me and you yep. and this whole thing, right? I think it's just, it's invaluable. And you're going to hear that infused like in the other stories I'm about to tell too. So like, and you'll even be part of one as well, Bracken. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was guided with, and this is going to sound really overboard, but I was guided by love the first, I don't know, six years of my running. Everyone around me cared for me. And they all, even if they didn't know running, they guided me with my best interests and heart. And so that delayed me in some areas, but it really helped me in a lot of areas. And then I got to college and I experienced the exact opposite of that. And I, I'm curious because you had a different college route than me. So you went from high school where a guy clearly took interest in you and you, you know, you were, he was passionate about guiding you. What was yep. your transition to college then like? He was passionate about guiding me, but his knowledge base was small. He didn't even run himself. Okay. He was just a good teacher, good dude, cared about kids, like kind of like what you would talk, probably read in like runner's world, like some workouts, like a 5K should do. And, and then we did those. Um, transition to college was great. I got a lot of admiration for my, my college coach, John Zupont. Um, he, uh, he was like your father away from home type. So, um, so he did a really positive encourager. Once in a while, he'd give you a firm talk when it was definitely deserved. It was never unnecessary. It was like, you messed up. Kids get in trouble for drinking or things like that or you didn't push it hard enough, or you ran a real, 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 real non-gutsy race, he might lay into you like it was obvious that you, you had a poor day. Um, but from what I actually learned from him was how to train properly. We were cross-country national champs when I was there. We were runner-up and track as a team. Um, and, uh, you know, you always – I feel like it's constantly redefined how – pain feels and what hurting mm -hmm. feels like. Right. And we talked about the more fit you get, the more you can actually hurt and the more you can sit in it. And I thought I knew what hurting was like until I got to college and found the 1500 and got better fitness. And so we worked with longer, longer intervals in the early in the year. Why are we doing two mile repeats in the middle, like in the beginning of cross country? You know, you know think about it. Why are we doing tempo runs and then tapering down sometimes a shorter work and it, it all just started to just paint a picture for me. That was it. Um, very positive encourager in my life again. But the biggest thing that came in is once you up your level. And I actually had this conversation with a couple of athletes of mine saying, I don't know if I should enter into age group or competitive or age group or open. Uh, they're really waffling over what season pass to buy or what to enter. And I know these people somewhat well. And it's, well, do you want to get the most out of yourself or do you not? Because you care enough to hire a coach. You care enough to train six days a week. Don't you believe you deserve to go and see what level you can rise to by entering age group instead of sitting in comfort in open? Yeah. And I convinced almost all of them to do so. And the point I'm getting at is now I'm low man on the totem pole again. And all I am doing is being drug around initially. Although I was an All-American as a freshman, I was like our fourth fastest 1500 guy on paper or fifth yeah. fastest. We had some studs. They committed into 5K. So like one guy went in the five instead of the 15. Another went in the DMR. So like point being is I still snuck in and was all American regardless, but I never let a workout. I never, I was just, all I was trying to do is hang on for dear life and get better and be better. And I was surrounded by people who were. And, and once you get in that mindset, which I know you entered in college, 
and that's all it is every day is like striving. And you look up to the upperclassmen, the guys that are better than you. Just like if you run OCR, you look up to an Atkins or a Cole DeRosa and his age group dominance. You say, I want to be that. Well, yeah, I had the opportunity to run with that every day. Matt Gross, a sub four minute miler, right? Like how do you, how do you refute training with that? And so constantly relearning how to push and then earning the fitness to get into a race and be totally in over your head and choose not to back off uh, was the next biggest lesson that I, that I definitely learned. And, and rising to the occasion can only happen when you put yourself into that position. So running scared, choosing competitions because you're scared. If you really want to improve as an athlete or a person, you know, I said to Mark Godet last week, I said, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if you're the fastest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And I really believe that. If you actually want to get better, uh, and that's where I went from a 431 miler in high school. That's all my best was, 431. And I think I ran 413 as a freshman. You know how much time that is to take off? <laughs> it's astronomical. I was, one, I was one of our afterthoughts. But I put, I stayed healthy, put myself in, in the presence of people who were better than me, swallowed my pride. And I will say, going back to what you'd said about your mile and you thought about it every day, I started to get a taste for like what I really thought this college running thing was about. And after the cross country season ended, I wasn't even on our top seven. We went and took third at nationals that year. It was actually a disappointment because we ran poorly. I was our 10th guy at conference in cross country. So I wasn't a top guy. And we went in this goal setting session and coach asked me, so what do you want to accomplish coming up in track? And I said, I want to qualify for nationals in the 1500. And he looked at me and he's like, it's a pretty ambitious goal, Kirk. And I said, yeah, I know. And I told all my teammates that and they brushed me off. That same shit. Because I was our 10th guy in cross. Am I going to qualify for, for nationals in the 1500? No, but every single day I thought about that. I ended up being an All-American in the damn event four months later. So, uh, and all it was was focus. It was focus, focus, yeah. focus. And I wouldn't settle for anything less. So those were all the lessons learned through the beginning phase of my college career. People underestimate the power of the group. There is a, there is a real fit. The power vacuum is a real thing. And when it's a positive aspect, it just brings everyone along. You could take the same athlete and send them to a powerhouse school or a struggling school, and they would have two different results. You go there, you get in the pipeline and it carries you along. Doesn't it, it, just, it doesn't do the work for you, but it amplifies your work. Doesn't it kill you to hear about how many runners in the poor college experience? Oh, it, it, it's, it's hard to like, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And, and I was on that path. I went down to Campbell university and I got my first, now I'd had, I'd have verbally abusive coaches in the past in basketball and in baseball. I'd had idiot coaches in other sports. I'd had bad men coach me, but it was not in running. It was in ball sports. And you kind of accept that. That's the culture. Guys are going to scream at you. They're going to cuss you out. They're going to not care about you. It's next man up. Running, you're not prepared for that. And I went to Campbell and I ran into a coach there who I don't believe cared too much about people. He'd have a favorite or two that he'd take under his wing once they got to be a junior. But he had no time for freshmen or underclassmen in general. Mm -hmm. And he didn't seem to have too much of a training philosophy other than pound miles and in his words, if you're injured, you're a pussy. Um, in he his words. To, oh, in his words. If I remember the first time I heard it, Jordan, Jordan Menzi went off to uh, the training room to have something worked on. And he said, well, Jordan's in there because he's a pussy. And he meant it. He said it to the rest of the team. Oh, boy. Now, think about that dynamic. Think about the power vacuum on that team now. So toxic. We had 11 freshmen and one junior. And now we know why 
everyone left the program. So the vacuum was just filled by anyone who wanted to jump into that. And if you went, when I went to the trainers eventually because I had IT issues, you know, he called me a pussy to my face. And it's not that I couldn't handle being called that. I've been called worse names by coaches. It was that it's different if someone's barking at you from the sideline of a ball sport game. And if someone's sitting in your office after a run where you're both sitting there sweating and he looks you in the face, he says, you know, if I, I think you need to stop being such a puss. I don't, you know, know, it, I don't know what worse could be said to you, Bracken. You've had worse things said to you than that. I mean, but it's in the flow of things, you know, right, getting sure. cursed out, call an MF or whatever. It doesn't matter because it's, I mean, it does. Coaches shouldn't speak to young athletes that way. I mean, realistically, no one should speak to anyone that way. Yeah. Like if you respect humans, but that happens. But in running, it's a very direct personal conversation and it's weightier. So anyways, I had a terrible experience down there and I took my high school training style, which was compete in training. And I went from 30 mile weeks to 70 mile weeks, 60 and then 70 back and forth, probably averaged around 60 to 65 a week that year. 80, 80, 20 running quite hadn't come out yet. Had it Bracken? I was just running. There was no <laughs> 20. There was no 80. I just, I was grinding every day and I was proud of it. And that, that power vacuum I'm talking about existed there where you have, you pop off a great 10 mile run or 12 mile run and you're running six twenties the whole time, which for me was mind blowing. And I call home. I'm like, I just had this great run and I'm feeling, I'm so fit. And this started highlighting the general fitness versus race fitness. Oh, sure. I had a lot of show fitness. I could go out and crack off a 16 mile run at low six pace. I could go out and run 10 miles sub six in training, but I ran 1652 in the first, uh, in our opener for, we did a 5k distance, our first race in college before we moved up to 8k and 10k. And I ran 1652. And I could run 10 miles sub six. That doesn't translate. Like I ran 16.52 in high school. What's happening here? And then yeah. I struggle through the whole cross country season, get to track and my IT bands are bad now, but I'm determined not to prove my coach right. So I'm fighting through it and I get to the first indoor race and I run 4.31 in the mile. I graduated high school faster than that. And yeah. I've been running 60 and 70 mile weeks. And we did a time trial to determine our uh, we, we were doing some max heart rate testing and we did some time trials and I ran a 436 mile in a 201 800 meter. And I just thought like, what am I? I'm a year older. I am better and I'm worse. This is ridiculous. And then I was injured out the rest of the year and I left the university and I never came back. And that was the end of part one of my college. And it was a waste of a year. It helped no, me long term. Yeah, I was going to say, was it though? But it was a waste of me as a person, as an athlete, as a as a a commodity for that university. I was wasted. Utterly I'd rather, wasted. I'd rather have that experience early on, and you ended up going somewhere with a better program and, and yeah. culture. Yeah, but it showed, there. it showed what your room can do to you. I was the same person, and I was still trying really hard, and I got worse than I was in high school. And everyone was injured and aimless with their training. And no one had ever been talked to about how to approach a workout. It was just, and you know what? You know that I have a mind for workouts. I remember every split of every workout I've ever run, right? Like I remember all of this stuff. Yep. I can think outside of our 10 mile and our 16 mile hard runs we did, I can maybe remember two or three quality days there that we did. And I think the reason for that is there was no semblance to form for anything. We were just doing stuff. Yeah. And everything all blurred together in one big, just grind session. So it was, I was misled by the room and I was misled by 
a coach. And I was yeah. too immature to fight for my own way. Uh, you always wonder how coaches like that end up in positions like they have. I always wonder how that – they're always typically unsuccessful tip programs because people don't mature there. They leave. They get bad feedback. And yet they stick around. You see it all the time. This guy had a relationship with the either the chancellor or someone, and he had been a stud yeah. runner in his own right. He had placed at the Pan Am Games in the 10K. He had run through six stress fractures. He was a he was a legend in the running down there, but he was a bad person. Yeah, can't hide that. Eventually, so was that. Um, I guess I pretty much outlined most of the stuff. I mean, later my college year dealt with injury and some health stuff. So I, the lessons I learned is start listening to your body, to be honest, more than anything. Um, what, what did you learn moving on from there then? I learned that I hated running. I left running. I quit. Mm, yeah, you I did, right? university. I gave up my scholarship and I went to try to play D3 baseball to just get away from it. And so I'm at that part of the, the running career where you reject it. You've stopped improving, you started getting injured, you hate it, and you leave. And I left. And it took baseball failure to get me back to running. And we talked about that in my interview. We don't have to get into that, but I failed. I got cut from two teams. <laughs> and I was at UW Lacrosse drinking and partying and lifting weights. And with the amount of rejection you've had in your life, your ego is very big, Bracken. You know what? I it stoked my fire. <laughs> I'm a fail forward kind of guy. And thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I am just joking. Yeah. So very, I mean, very humble man, Craig. Oh, I appreciate you, Kirk. But it yeah. was, you know, I've said it before, but it was that look down in the shower, see a belly, and realize like this That's isn't right. this isn't yeah. me. Hop out of the shower, towel off, throw on the shoes, and I went out for a run. And then I hooked up with the the gray shirts, as they call it in D three. There's no red shirting because there's no scholarship with the gray shirts. The guy who's who train with the team but don't travel and race. And I started running with them, and I just started running slow for the first time in my life because I was over my running weight and it was hot and I was just miserable. So I ran slow every day. And then when I transferred back to Whitewater, I started running with the team and I found that I had some wheels, all the baseball lifting, all the 20 and 30 meter sprints I had done combined with a year of resting from the damage I took down in North Carolina. I had some wheels again. I, and I, I told that story that about that workout I ran, that cut down, it was like 1,008, 6, 4, 4, 2, 2, 2, five minute rest, all out 800. I ran two flat. Yep. I ran a time trial, a team race in 201 at Campbell, you know, a year earlier. You know, it's interesting hearing you, uh, just to interrupt real quick, is your big breakthrough in high school came after like a strength training block to mm -hmm. catch up to your body and short, fast stuff. And then yep. you go and do strength training and short, fast stuff for baseball your body responds. You were probably missing a bit of the efficiency over duration component, that raw explosive biomechanic. I don't know. Both times it sounds like your breakthrough happened. They happened after short spicy. And it did. And at Campbell, I got, I was six foot by that point, maybe six foot, one half inch. And I was 139 pounds by the time I came home for Christmas break. I graduated high school at 155. I was down under 140 at six foot. Dude, another case in point again. So I had lost my power. I had lost my speed. I was oof, severely under fueling. And so all that, like, yeah, yeah, the drinking and partying wasn't good, but I, I got my weight back real quick. And then I came out the other side stronger and faster. And and I had a coach there who cared about us again. And and I have a I have a guilty association with this coach, Darren Schneider. He was really good to us. And he really was good at coaching middle distance, but he was also the head coach. And he lost his job at the university after my junior year because everyone gave him negative evals. 
because he was a really bad manager of the team. Oh. He was a really bad scheduler and organizer, but he was a fantastic middle distance coach. And we all said that. Like, this guy deserves to be coaching at the D1 level. He's that good at middle distance, but he shouldn't be managing this stuff. And instead, the university just got rid of him. Not too bad. I feel awful about being a part of that, but he he shaped me. He he coached us out of a book. And to his credit, he didn't try to do anything differently. He had a middle distance guide to training, but he talked to us about a bit about why we did what we did. And he got me on periodized training. And I really responded. So one thing I never got was I was never told why we were doing what we were doing. That's we, one thing that was still missed. I was very yeah. well cared for. Was never I never understood at the time. I still had to relearn learn that afterwards. We didn't get a lot of it, but we got a hint of it. Tell you one thing I did not get still was tactics. Mm, My yeah. entire running career, high school and college, I had no one teach me tactics for racing. And I got a lot of that. None of it. I got it from teammates. Finally, yeah. someone sat me down and Eric Keen, I believe it was, he said, you need to relax. There is a difference between running fast and trying hard. And you need to stop trying hard your first lap. You need to run relaxed. Relax is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. And it was that was the game changer that I needed to hear. But the rest of my college was, we don't need to get into, other than the fact that I, I was back in a supportive environment with people who are faster than me and people who are generally healthy about their pursuits. And I was back in the pipeline. I was- yeah. I was a one, I was a 201 high school 800 meter runner when our best was 159. And I was 201 my first year of college when our best was 157. And when our best was 150 in high in college, then I was now 153, split in 152. You know, right. I just, you mold to the room you're in. Yeah. That should be something that you lone wolves out there should take to heart. I know circumstances, COVID, every, there's a million reasons why you got to run alone schedule. Um, who knows? ability level, where you live, everything. I mean, I'm mostly a lone wolf. You are as well. Just talking this out with you is reminding me that you and I need to do a better job of getting together more often. We're not that far apart, Bracken. We can do this. Point being, maybe seeking out people in your community. You know, especially as an OCR athlete, which the majority of our listeners are, like you could probably hook up with some runners that are quicker than you in the area. I sure as heck could drive most of the pro runners in Minneapolis into the ground in an OCR race. But if we go out and run, run, I'm going to be hanging out for dear life and then dropped. And, I, you know, I could be reaching out to them as well. So mm -hmm. think about doing that because there's power in that. A lot of power. Absolutely. In that. How many yeah. seconds did you drop in the mile going from high school to college? Uh, from 431 to 4 to so my freshman year. Uh, tops. What did you top out at? 407? No, I barely was. I would, I would, no, oh, 09. I would say, okay. I would say, what is that? 22 seconds? You cut 22 seconds in the mile. It's a ton of time. And I cut 12, I think. And I cut, uh, I cut eight in the 800. Those are four in the eight. Those are big jumps. And that happens because of the room you're sitting in. Yeah. A little better coaching, uh, but it all has to do with the room you're in still, no matter if the sum of all yeah. parts of that room is a coach and better athletes, but take that to heart guys. If you're listening, um, it's good for me to rehear right now. You know, we pride ourselves. I've said this before. We pride ourselves on the grind and the solitude of this. And we seek it often, but that's okay. But like, Sometimes shying away from that's very important to getting better. It's hard to get better when you're on your own. It's harder to get better. Um, so let's jump. I'm going to jump to between college running mm -hmm. and then finding Spartan race. Now, my gap is much longer than yours because yes. yours is brief. Mine is college done in 2005. I didn't race Spartan race till 2016. So I had 11 year gap between college and, and there's a lot of lessons learned in there about life as well and running. But the biggest thing was this, in hindsight, looking back, 
and I'm claiming not to be the best in the world at this sport. I get it trying to be, but I'm not, but I've come a long way in this sport from going from 58th at Spartan worlds in a field that was watered down compared to now to 11th. So like there's been some learning going right. Mm -hmm. Um, is, you know, we refer to Hunter McIntyre a lot in this. I just, he just FaceTimed me yesterday morning randomly. I talked to him yesterday as well. I think he was making the rounds yesterday. He had his shirt. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, and what I did, and, and I didn't realize this, was for two to five years, I just wanted to get big, put on muscle. And I ran three times a week, a couple miles, just because I liked it and I wanted to stay lean and whatever. Looking back, Hunter does that in more micro cycles within his years. He'll take two, three months and just put his strength back on and run two, three days a week, but nothing crazy, and then get into racing. Well, I didn't race for a long time. And then I started to be like, maybe I want to get into it again and running three or four days a week, not a ton of mileage. But what I was, that was consistent for like five years before I started to do a road race again or six years or however it was. I was doing stuff. And yeah, I was bigger. I put on a lot of muscle and all that, which all ends up paying off later in, you know, when I found Spartan and all that. But like, I was just, I mean, have I ever blown anybody away with mileage and volume or any of that? And even to this day, no. But I showed up every day and I did something. I showed up and did chest and triceps, which is stupid now. And then I showed up and did back and biceps, but I also ran a little bit. And I showed up for myself every day for a decade. For literally every day for a damn decade, I showed up for myself, my fitness. And then I started racing again. What I opened with, I got convinced to run a 5K in 2015. No, 14. That's not that long ago that you picked up serious running again. I jumped in a few things. Right after college, I did for like a year or two, but um, I think I ran 17.34. I had started running two weeks earlier. By the end of that summer, I got a taste for it. I had run 26.20 in a five mile, which is like five, what, 15 pace, five, 12 pace. So I worked down, I ran 16.11 three times in a row in the 5K. And that was still doing chest and triceps on Monday, running on Tuesday, back and biceps on Wednesday, running on Thursday legs and shoulders on Friday and then running 10 miles on Saturday steady doing nothing yeah. elaborate general fitness but, looking good but yeah and I showed up for myself and I didn't and then then I found Spartan race and I realized that it was a runner sport and I was getting a little more curious and so started increasing the running a little bit still doing bro lifts that's how I entered the sport um but all I'm really trying to outline here to be honest, it's not very, you know, profound. It's the fact that I did something. And the, the phrase I showed up for myself every day, I didn't blow everything away. And I really, in a very macro cycle, like years, I put on a bunch of strength and then got fit and then got race fit. Mm-hmm. And somebody like Hunter McIntyre bringing it full circle does that every year or did that every year when he was, you know, racing exclusively OCR. And so learning that, like, a little bit of consistency goes a long ways. It's, we see a lot of people doing flashy stuff out there. And I was seeing some of my former college teammates doing flashy stuff out there, but they didn't keep it up all the time. Right. And so, and now I honestly, I got a couple of college teammates that are listening to this. Let's race and see how it goes. I've been consistent for a long time. That's it. I never let things get in the way. So you don't have to be running the most mileage. You don't have to be doing the most profound things. You just got to show up for yourself every day. And that's what I learned when it finally translated to performing. I love it. Yeah. So that brought me to Spartan and I learned many lessons from that. I will say, and I was not being coached at that time. I would look up workouts on the internet at, at times. I took all my old college workouts um, that I had known. And then I started designing and making my own. And then I really started embracing all of this whole thing started. I, 
a year or two before I found Spartan, I started to get a little nerdy with it and start to tinker, mm-hmm. um, which got me down to low 16s in the 5K, but not where I needed to be. But anyways, that was that was mine. Um, your, your transition was a bit more brief, I believe. It was interesting. I, I was in a great place where I graduated college in spring of 2010, and I ran my first race in fall of 2011. Is that right? That'd be a year and a half. Is that right? I couldn't tell yeah. you back. I thought it was the same year, but it's not now that I think about it. I had a year and a half half. half gap. I came out, I was really fit. So I I ran at, I I was an alternate at Outdoor Nationals on a relay in May, that would be. And on June 2nd, it was always the first weekend in June, I ran the Susan G. Komen 5K race for the cure in Madison. And I turned myself inside out to get the win. I got dropped with a half mile to go. I regained with 300 meters to go and kicked home for 16.39 for the win. Woo! This was the year I ran 357 in the 1500 a couple of weeks before this and 153 uh, right. three times in four days. <laughs> that doesn't correlate. It doesn't correlate. And what it showed me is that, A, that was my PR. 16.52 was still my PR prior to that race. So I PR'd by 15 seconds or so. But... It showed me that all of this college work I did, all I did was I sharpened my sharp side. And I'd been doing the things I loved, but I still didn't train off seasons in college. In fact, my senior year, I trained over the winter for the first time heading into track. So I, I chained together a fall, a winter, and a spring, and I PR'd in every. But I still hadn't run a calendar year in my life. The very tip of your knife was very, very sharp, but you forgot about everything. Yeah, and we yeah. didn't talk about it. Coaches didn't talk about off-season. Their background was 400 meters and under, and that's what sprinters do in the off-season. They lift, they party, they come back, and then they just quick sharpen up their speed and their explosiveness, and that comes back quick. So I didn't train a summer in five years of college running. And so I got to the end, and I was sharp. I could run fast. I could run 26-second 200s all day long in training. I could not hold five-minute pace for longer than two miles. (laughs) It was crazy. It just didn't correlate. And so I entered OCR. Uh, I injured my knee pretty badly a little while later. It never got it diagnosed. Um, I didn't have any need to. I wasn't going to compete ever again. I was aimless. And seven months later, I could jog again. And I started moving. And then that fall, I found a Spartan race accidentally. And got As we ex- all do. And got exposed badly. But I took second because there was no depth of field and because I was still a fit athlete with a I was one year removed from five years of college running. And so I trained up. I qualified for the the initial Spartan World Championship, which was to be held six or eight weeks later. And I trained trained just the way I used to train in college, but with OCR movements in between. And I got out there and I got ripped up again because it was an eight-mile race or a 10-mile race. And I didn't have that type of fitness. I want to interrupt you really quick. Because coaching is a theme here, or who influences were. Did you have any influences in that first training block on your own, knowing nothing? Were you like there were secretly none. asking Hobie? Were you was there something on YouTube, or did you decide in your brain that that's what you needed to do without anybody else putting that idea in your head? YouTube was in its infancy. Facebook was in its infancy. I didn't have a smartphone yet. Facebook wasn't in its infancy in 2011. It was. It had been around for what six years. It wasn't, it was still used as like picture sharing. I got on in 2005, I guess. So yeah, I did. I got done in 2006. Anyways, the point is it wasn't this huge community yet. It was used for like picture sharing and tagging people in pictures. Yeah. Hobie wasn't on Facebook. 
Hobie was the only, Hobie and Jung Young Pack were the only other two obstacle racers I knew existed in Elliott McGuire. There was no there's nothing on it. So I just took my college training and I applied OCR principles to it. But I didn't run longer than 40 minutes in any one session because I never had done that in my life other than when I was at Campbell trying to sure. run 60 and 70 mile weeks. And I got exposed. And then that's that's really what like started me on my path to where I am today, which is I just went power hungry for information. And I watched every online seminar and speech I could. And I read every book I could read. And I poured through every online archive of coaching and training and racing material. And I watched documentary. And I just I just went nuts on it. And I guess I haven't, I've t- haven't really trailed off since then. But that's when I started to realize there's a bigger piece to this puzzle. Why can I run in my sleep 415, 420 in the mile? And I can't run faster than 1639 in a 5K. What what is going on? And that's when I started taking the reins of my training for good. And Lisa and I started running every morning at 6 a.m. And I was lifting three times a week. And I was just absorbing every bit of information I could. I was testing out all my concepts on the high school kids I was coaching and on myself at the time. And just went all in on it. And three years later, I ran that Susan G. Komen 5K in 1542 on the same course. Yeah. 50 seconds faster. Yeah. Yeah. I cut 57 seconds off in three years in a 5k, uh, without training for a 5k. I was just training for OCR and trying to round out my lactate threshold and my endurance. I find, I find athletes, you know, generally get frustrated with their rate of improvement. Mm -hmm. Uh, People take their wins and they're excited about them. But a lot of times after somebody's like, I've been at this for two years and like, I still haven't stood on a podium or I still haven't qualified for the elite wave. And I want to be like two years. You don't have a clue. Yeah. You don't have a clue yet what you are gotten yourself into. Just hearing you tell your stories about your progressions over two decades and mine, I, well, I'm about two decades into my progression and my storyline here. Um, and here you think in two years that that's what it's going to take. Listen to all the flops Bracken had and I had. Listen to all the going down in flames, the hard conversations, reevaluate reevaluating if he should even be a runner anymore. Yet here he is telling you what to do on a podcast. (laughs) Right. Point, point being is that like, be kind to yourself, be patient. Like just, I I don't know. I just wanted to just jump on that right away. Just hearing, hearing that progression, the mistakes and the way we've, we've been our own guinea pigs for decades. It's the only reason we have any perspective to talk to you guys every week. (laughs) (laughs) Like like we've fucked up so many times. It's the, Yes. It's the perfect summation, Kirk. It's the perfect time to say it. It's that in the moment you have hit a wall or you have fallen into the crevasse or you're staring at this insurmountable mountain. And in hindsight, that was a little blip on your running progression. When I stopped getting better after my third year of fourth year of competitive running as a junior, if you were 40 years old and you got better, got better, got better and stopped and got worse for a year at 44, you think, huh, Maybe I'm done with this running thing. I've hit my ceiling. I'm done. But because I was 16, 17 years old, I believe there was more there. And then I went from, that was when I was at a 452 mile. So let's just think about that. If I was 40 years old with that perspective, I would have quit. And I'd be a lifelong 453 miler. (laughs) And then if I would have quit after Campbell, when I tried higher volume, I tried, I moved off to D1 college. I tried higher volume. I trained so hard and I ran 431. Didn't see I, the fruit of your labor. You were perplexed. Now you're 50. You put in a couple more years and you have really stagnated. And now you're starting to move backwards. I would have quit as a 431 miler, but 
I still had 20 seconds to drop, you know, yes. not 20. I, I still had 15 seconds to drop, but I didn't know it yet because in the moment I thought I was done. But in hindsight, I was about a quarter of the way through my athletic progression. And that's, that's hard to grasp in the moment until you hear everyone else's story. I was in the best shape of my life coming out of Whitewater. I had just peaked for nationals. And two weeks later, I ran 1639 in a 5K. <laughs> and three years later, after having already done two quality sessions with Macaulay that week, I jumped in that Susan G. Komen and ran 1549 on tired legs. I would have quit after my senior, my fifth year of college as a 1639 5K runner and thought I maxed out my ability. And yeah. three years later, the amount of time that some people take for their entire career, three years, I haven't improved. That was tacked on to the end of my college. And then I dropped a minute in the 5K. But it was like... I drop a few seconds in between. I had run 1602 and 16 flat. And then suddenly I jumped ahead again. So these, mm -hmm. these jumps don't always follow a linear logical progression, but we're talking years of scope here. Yeah. It's, 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 it's mandatory to recognize that this is not an overnight process and that stagnation is not the end of the road. It means now we reassess where I looked, huh? I have polished one side of my sword for the last 11 years. Yep. I wonder what I can get from the other side and boom, a minute off my 5K. Because mm -hmm. I trust another factor in my training. And then boom, cut six minutes off my 10 mile time because I run an entire year rather than just three seasons. So these are the pieces. When you stagnate, you realize I'm either at my ceiling or it's time to unlock the next level of my training. Well, I mean, moral of the story is you stayed curious, mm -hmm. meaning you kept trying to learn and you kept fighting and clawing. Yeah. And that's, those are really your op. You reassess, you learn and you fight and claw and you show up for yourself. Right. They're like, I'm sure people are that need to hear that right now. And we're going to be able to look back again, Kirk, because right now you and I are looking at a level of performance in this sport. When I left the national series, I was taking second through fourth in every race I did. And when I came back to it, I took ninth and eighth. Seattle and Monterey. Uh, that, was, that year. Oh, that year I took fourth you, or fifth and then like seventh. I fell off the rig at the end. I think you took sixth. Okay. And then in Seattle. and then in 2019 in Alabama and Florida, I took ninth and eighth or eighth okay. and ninth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I am trending in reverse. In a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, we're going to be able to look back and say, yeah, you were at your ceiling when you were taking second through fourth when you were maybe 15, 35 K runner, 15, 20. And now you're not that ever again, because that was your ceiling. Or we're going to look back and say, yeah, that was the ebb and flow of your career. And now you're back, but we can't make judgment calls in the moment on the scope of our career. It's just impossible. You're too close to it. Uh, you're too married emotionally to what is exactly happening. You've invested so much of your time, mm -hmm. commitment, emotional and physical energy into your training at that time. It's only until you step back, maybe keep those running logs, folks, that multicolor <laughs> pen and, and have some yeah, perspective. Um, let's move uh, to then Spartan, at least for me anyways, the lessons learned and how you were influential in that for me would be, I really developed some good high-end running knowledge um, through just being an athlete over the years. And then obviously I have advanced degrees in this stuff and then coach regular runners, even though I wasn't necessarily running myself a ton before I found Spartan, I was coaching runners at the gym and everything. And then I found Spartan and my run fitness was good. I was excited about it. I put in training, um, went and podiumed in my first battle frog, 
was going to the ninja gym, not knowing what else to really do, but I wasn't switching up my running. And I went to Chicago for my first Spartan race. Um, and I ended up taking fourth and got disqualified because I missed the Atlas stone carry. <laughs> stupid, but so dumb. And my fitness was really good. And what happened is I was running and leading. Robert Killian was only 10 seconds in front of me. I was leading Mike Ferguson and Brian Gowiski doing the work, pulling them along for half of that race. Uh, and then we hit a bucket carry and it just, it just hit me just enough. And then we hit a sandbag carry through the mud and it hit me just enough. And then somehow climbing that damn rope and coming down and running just hit me just enough. And I got beat by a minute in the second half of that race by Brian and Mike, maybe 40 seconds, but had no control over it. And if that race was another mile long, I would have lost to him by three minutes because I was bleeding. You know, I was bleeding and I skipped the Atlas stone carry. So who knows how much I really, what is that going to take? That's going to be at least 30 seconds at at least probably 25 yeah. depending. anyways i came back and i was like oh i was happy very happy with that performance but uh i knew i had experienced something that i couldn't beat and that was the feeling that the race provided stubborn enough still not knowing enough still didn't want to give in to any sort of compromise true work so i was doing strength i was going to the ninja gym and then i was running and then i went to minnesota two weeks later for my second or three weeks later for my second race at a ski hill, which I had never even run up a ski hill before. And I took fifth place in a much more watered down field. And I lost to Mike Ferguson by eight minutes. And I was worthless even more. Add hills into the mix and then make me carry a sandbag and then add this. And I was like, Jesus, like on paper, I was, I, me and Mike started running together and I was like, I'm faster than him. <laughs> and, and then he went out and he beat me by eight minutes. Granted, I did a set of burpees, but okay, six in a sprint that took 50 minutes. I was an hour and I was like, what on earth am I missing here? Like what the heck? And then I finally through my own like defeat was like, you guys have this thing called apex written on your chest and magic marker. All these guys, Garrett and Ian and Mike, I think might've had something at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you guys like part of a team or they, and all those guys beat me. Then they said they were coaching with you and all that. And then I was like, shit, these guys beat me like a couple times and I don't know what I'm doing in this regard. And that's when I re reached out to you. Which just to interrupt you mm -hmm. is not the simple logical step that you make it out to be. That is a big swallow your pride moment for an all-American track runner who coaches athletes and is has a master's degree in exercise, fitness, yeah. physiology and such. But my pride wasn't very big at this point. And I knew I had potential and I knew I just needed to understand how to fix it. Just like Hunter, again, Hunter does, how many coaches has Hunter hired in his day? I yeah. mean, two dozen, maybe at most. He's working with how many right now? A nutrition coach, a strength coach. He's probably got three coaches right now himself, Hunter. Yeah, he said he spent twenty to $40,000 on coaching right. in his career. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I recognize that. And then put all the, I had, as we talk, I had the uh, ingredients, but I didn't really have the recipe. And then I learned that. And, you know, I've tweaked things on my own at times and learned what my body responded to and really embraced it. But it started with you. And it started with the fact that, like, um, that I didn't know what to do with that next step. I was fit and I wasn't race fit. It's the same crap we just talked about last week or week before. It's yeah. as simple as that. And so that was where the lesson came in handy as in bad fitness. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, calculated or dialed in yet. And so Spartan Race certainly taught me that. It also certainly taught me that you can never climb enough. The more you go up, it seems like the faster you get in all facets. Yeah. Like for me, it's like you go up a lot, well, you're going to get faster and flats too. Like just go up. It taught me that for sure. That would be, 
I mean, those are like some of the, the overview lessons early on learned. And, and I ended up, I mean, popping, gosh, I think in that first year, I started running a little more too, but I went from what, 16, I think I time trialed at 16, 16, and then I ended up running 15, 41 mm-hmm. in a road race alone by myself at basically a time trial. So it, within, I don't know, six months to a year, which maybe sounds like a long time, but it's not a long time to take 40 seconds off of five. Or is a, it's not that it's <laughs> a lot of time. Think about 2020 and tell me six months is long. You exactly. blinked and 2020 didn't even exist anymore. Exactly. So learned a lot of lessons there. It's a lot of reasons why I will go down in flames telling you that um, if you're just running and strength training separately, that it's not going to correlate for you as well as it could to the race. And so I learned all of those lessons and why compromise running is now our thing, thanks to Bracken in a sense. And, you actually um, came up with the term. I did, but... I always I call it, What did I always call it? Fatigued running or just OCR work? OCR yeah. running, right? Yeah, what I either called it OCR work or fatigued running. Compromised running was your word, and it's so much better. I mean, it's just more vague, really. <laughs> it's just like, you're, it's, that's it. But if you look back at what we've done, and again, we're not the... I think it's important to look at our career because we're not the freaks. Yes. Are we naturally faster than some of the listeners? Of course. Are we naturally faster than the best people at our sports? Not even close. We have enough talent to get to a high level and unlock the high levels of training and enough struggles (laughs) throughout the years and injuries and setbacks to be relatable, I believe. We've had to fight and claw for every damn thing that we've earned, at least in our adult lives. And so... That's why what I believe like yeah. lessons should be learned from the non-freaks. And the common threads are the same between us. It's that our, our in the moment, is this it, turned into speed bumps long-term. And stagnation turned into either I need more consistency, more volume, or even more consistency. And then that, once you got through that, turned into now I need race specificity in my life. And throughout that, the other common theme is that we had hands that entered our life and guided us in the right direction or in the wrong direction throughout. And those that guided us the wrong way shaped what we didn't want to do in the future. And those that guided us the right way are the reasons that we're here where we are today. And so like the big bullet points are consistency, work your dull side, race specificity, and surround yourself with mentors or coaches and training partners. So that the room you're in is the room you're supposed to be in. And I would say, what else do you have to add to this? But I don't really know what I want to add to that, Bracken. I don't know. I, I, I do want to come full circle with my training. I would like that. When I got to Colorado and Lisa and I moved out there, I moved out two weeks ahead of the Lisa and the kids. Scouted out, locked down the apartment with my brother. And I hit uh, back to back to back 70 mile weeks out there. It's a which lot. would have been 2013, which would have been... Uh, seven years, seven years after I hit my first 70 mile week and it destroyed my life and I quit running. So it was a seven year process to go from 30, 40 mile week to 70 back to no running up to 20 and 30 throughout college and then forties and then fifties and then sixties and then seventies. That took me seven years to go down and come back up and get to the highest point that I've been at fitness wise in my life. Seven years on top of the previous seven years I had already been training. But, but when I wrote that 70 mile week down in my log, Kirk, it's the first time I had done that since my freshman year in college. And writing that 70 took me right back to Ken Frenette's sweaty, just muggy, nasty carpet in his coaching office. 
where I wrote 70 miles, circled it with pride with sweat dripping down on it. Yeah. But also knew that I was about at the end of what I could handle in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this yeah. time I wrote it down and thought, all right, I'm going to hit it again next week. And we're going to get an extra 5,000 feet of vert this week. So the process matters way more than the number matters. I hit the same numbers twice, but what I did leading up to that was entirely different, but seven years it took to undo what I had done and to and to get up near what I think was probably close to my ceiling. It wasn't my ceiling, but close. So seven months, a year, two years, who cares? We're talking seven to 10 years for good athletic development. No matter what age you're at, we were talking before we started recording, as we usually you know, goof off for a little while mm -hmm. before we start recording, but we were just saying like, the biggest thing is, is you're all in different stages of your athletic career, whether you're in its infancy, which I would say is still like your first four years. If you're in like athletic endurance athletics, like you're still like got a pacifier in your mouth as far as this all concerned, as much as you have learned, there's so much more and just giving yourself enough time, credit, grace to like understand, like we learned these lessons a lot longer ago, but like a lot, this is an adult found sport. Spartan yes. racing, OCR, it, you know, trail running even for a lot, or just general ultra road running. racing. Ultra running is an adult found sport, and a lot of you guys don't have backgrounds in this stuff. And it's it's just it's. I, in fact, I hope this doesn't discourage anybody saying like, "Oh shit, they're like I'm 30, 40 and I gotta wait till I'm 50 to see results." That's not what we're saying, but we're just saying like comparison and under to others and understanding where you're at right now. It's probably normal, probably okay. You're falling on your face. And well, I don't know how many thousands of times we've done it. And so like, it's all good. You're normal. It's okay. Yeah. It's not Learn that you can more. improve quickly. It's that you don't know the full picture of what you can be for 10 years. And then you won't, you think you know then, and then you'll learn 10 years later that you still didn't have a clue. I mean, I learned something last year, Kirk. I was training for an ultra, jumped into a road mile and ran 422 yeah, or 424, did. something like that. I wasn't doing speed work. I learned something. In my 20th year of running, I learned that off long threshold work, big volume and intense hill work, I have speed. I didn't know that. It took me 20 years to figure out that little lesson. It was a yeah. great lesson to learn. Now I'm, I'm happy in that. I know I can fall back on that. I know I don't have to give one away to do the other. 20 years. Did it mean I didn't run fast in between then? No, I got good at a lot of things in between then and I got bad at some things, but I didn't know the full picture of me as an athlete until year 20. And in year 21, I'm looking back and realizing, oh yeah, that wasn't the full picture either. So you have to have grace with yourself. Who is that was talking about that? Johnny? Johnny Lulima, yeah. You have to have grace with yourself as an athlete. You have to have grace and patience to realize what I am in this moment is not me. This is not my full me. This is a snapshot of who I am. And it's creating 20 years of snapshots gives you a really good picture. You don't know what you don't know. And you certainly don't know what you haven't experienced yet. You only know what you know, and you only know what you've experienced. And even then, you only partially know it, right? So that's, uh, I think we're getting our point across today. I think so. I think so. Um, I'm satisfied, I think, with what I've shared. Do you have anything else that you want people to hear? No, no. Have okay. some grace and get in the right room. Get, yeah, get in the right room. Um, and then I'm just going to make a plug uh, for our shirts that are coming out. We finally got them in. I don't know if you've been paying attention to our Instagram, but they're going to be up on the runningpublic.com here in the next week. Did you say Monday? I mean, if we can get it done by, see, I got to be a shirt model. I got to take the photos. Oh, that's true. You've got to do a modeling session. Yeah, I got, that's why I've been getting all jacked and big for this t-shirt modeling session. Then I can cut down for the race. Brad. That's true. You're in bulking I, season. 
I got to really fill out this uh, medium here, make it look good. <laughs> so anyways, running public shirts are sweet. They're soft as, what are they soft as, Bracken? I don't know, a baby's behind. They are comfortable. You're going to want to live in them. And they look damn good too. I was just rubbing it in Bracken's face before we started recording. So keep an eye out on that. Um, be here soon. That's it. Bye. Thank you.